0: Tuesday, um, I called my wife, I was, I was driving home from St. Louis where I go to school, and I called my wife on the way home as I was driving, and I told her some really, really big news. It was really exciting news, spectacular news. I said, Emily, guess what? I am turning over a new dietary leaf. It's finally happening No more carbs, no more sugar, smaller portions. I mean, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna feel better. I'm gonna look better. I'm gonna lose some weight. You know, I'm excited about this. Uh, But I can even tell through the phone that she's uh, supportive, but unimpressed. And I get home that night and we're making dinner together. We're making a salad. And she pulls out the salad dressing and she's getting ready to pour it on. I go, no, 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 stop. Salad has sugar. I can't eat sugar. I'm on an incredible new diet. And she goes, well, I would like salad dressing on my salad. And I said, well, you can't because I'm, I'm on a diet. And she goes, well, you know what? This diet, it's not gonna last. I'm like, okay, hold on. I mean, shots fired, right? How do you know that? And she goes, Patrick, you always do this. I always do what? You always make these big, spectacular changes and plans, and then just a few slip-ups later, everything's back to normal. So let's just be honest right now with the salad dressing and admit that you're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna do this diet. And I said, nope, there will be no salad dressing tonight. Fast forward 24 hours, and I'm writing this talk, actually, and you know I need some creative energy, some fuel, and so I have a big, thick, delicious piece of chocolate cake, and it is incredible. So apparently, I can only last about 24 hours on a diet. That's, that's what we've learned. My wife knows me better than myself. I mean, have you ever done that, you know, where you have a big, spectacular goal? I mean, maybe it's not spectacular to onlookers, but at least to you in your life, it's kind of a big deal. It feels like a big thing, and then, you know, you end up making a few slip-ups, You give in here and there, kind of all of a sudden things just kind of fall apart, you you give up on it. You ever have that happen? The funny thing about me, that's not just my approach to dieting, Uh, it's also, it it has been my approach to spirituality, to my relationship with God. I remember after my freshman year when I became a Christian, coming back uh, after that summer, and i had some really big and exciting and spectacular plans i was i was going to read my bible every day i was going to pray twice a day i was going to start a small group for all of my non-christian friends in class and people were going to come to know jesus it was all going to be great right but you probably know where the story's going uh, the weeks kind of rolled on and on and you know i went a day without reading and then a week you know, people didn't really show up to the thing like I thought they were going to, you know, for my non Christian friends, and people's lives were being changed. And just kind of slowly over time, I just kind of let things fall apart. Kind of gave up. Kind of got a little bit apathetic about my spiritual growth. Kind of got a little bit cynical about the people, you know, who I really wanted to reach. You know, I thought, God, you want me to do something amazing. You want me to do something spectacular. You want me to do something radical for you, right? It didn't seem to work. Perhaps even more disheartening for me, though, was my battle with sin. You know, I had a lot of these kind of ongoing, constant fights with sin. And what would happen was I would do the same sin over and over and over again. And finally, I'd get to this point where I would say, God, I'm so sorry. I promise I will never fill in the blank again. I'll never lust again. I'll never gossip again. I'll never drink again. I, maybe you could fill in the blank for you, but you know, I, I'll never do it again. And then, inevitably. The sin cropped back up. I do it again. And at that point, I just, I get so either ashamed or disheartened or even frustrated and kind of cynical towards God. Like, does this Christianity thing even really work? Because I'm trying here and it does not seem to be changing. I mean, God, if you want big things from me, why isn't it working? I'm just getting tired. I don't know if you can resonate with any part of my story. Maybe that was you coming into this year, you know, you had some big ideas, big goals, but we're five weeks in and, you know, things slip up. You kind of let things go. You're starting to feel a little apathetic, maybe a growing sense of hopelessness, frustration, just eh, meh, you know, that kind of feeling. And I guess it kind of goes back to my argument with my wife about the salad dressing, because at the end of the day, she was right, right, right? <laughs> I do have this tendency to make these big, spectacular goals, and then a few small slip-ups. Well, next thing I know, things fall apart. They don't really work out. And I wonder if the reason, in part, is because when we make these big goals, and I'm sure we've all done it, you know, we kind of have this all-or-nothing mindset, like, I'm either going to do it all, and then when it all doesn't happen, I'm just going to do nothing, right? I think that's part of why. But I think the other part of the reason why is that kind of accidentally, without us realizing it, we have Christianized our celebrity culture. You see, in a celebrity culture, what's big, what's spectacular, what's amazing, that's what gets the headlines, that's what's it, that's what people want. And I think sometimes that's what we think God wants from us. He wants us to be, you know, little Christian celebrities, being big and amazing and spectacular. We don't just Christianize that. We Christianize our kind of culture of immediacy, right? I mean, I can pull out my cell phone and in you know, less than 30 seconds, order any book, food, whatever else I want from Amazon. I can send someone a text. Things happen like that. And in the exact same way, you know, we kind of think, if I do these big things for God, well, then it's gonna create this rapid, quick, amazing change just like that. But what if that's not the way God designed us to grow. Let's just let's just listen for a second to what Jesus said about how his kingdom grows. How his kingdom grows, we're all part of that kingdom. It's going to teach us something about how we can grow, but let's just see what Jesus says. He said in Mark 4, "With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth." And yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Okay, according to Jesus, how does the kingdom of God grow? Slowly, unspectacularly, like a seed falling into the ground and germinating. In fact, he doesn't just choose any seed. He, he, he pushes it a step further. And he says, he's gonna pick the, the smallest seed. He says, the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And here's the meaning. God, he normally grows his kingdom through slow and small and unspectacular means. If that's how God grows his kingdom, maybe that teaches us something about our Christian life and how we grow. Maybe we grow through small and slow and unspectacular means. Here's a proposition for you. Living out of this reality, the slow, small, unspectacular Christian life, living out of that reality, that may be the key to allowing Jesus to mature us, to grow us, to make us into the people he wants us to be over the long haul. And as a result, that's gonna be how he grows his kingdom. That's gonna be how his kingdom grows. And, and in fact, I'll go this far. I think applying this reality to our lives, it's going to be critical if you want to experience God's work, God's power in your life. So Here's what I want us to do tonight. We're gonna look at three different things that we can learn from this single parable about how we grow. And see, maybe I can get something here <laughs> that's, that's really gonna cause long-term slow, <laughs> Small, unspectacular, but long-term change. And the first thing that we learn from this parable is that we grow, we grow when we live for something bigger than ourselves. You see, Jesus' parable here, uh, it shows us that our desire uh, for the big and the spectacular, it's not wrong. That's not a wrong thing to desire. It's just wrongly directed, okay? Here's how we know that. He, he says the mustard seed turns into something big, right? It turns into something spectacular, but it's different than what we expect. You see, if you were an ancient Jew and you're hearing Jesus compare the kingdom of God to a tree, there's a lot of different trees that you would expect him to compare it to. So I've got some pictures that we're gonna pop up here. The first one is the Tabor oak. That's, it's, a, it's a pretty big oak tree. It's not an enormous oak tree, but it's a, it's a majestic tree. It's a beautiful tree. Uh, or they might've expected him to compare it to the cypress Uh, This is one of the oldest cypresses in the world, actually. I mean, you can tell it's a a big tree. It's a beautiful tree. It's in uh, Israel. Or or he might have compared it to the Aleppo pine. It's not what we think of when we think of a pine tree, but that's, that's a pine tree in Israel. But if there was one tree that his audience would have expected him to compare the kingdom of God to, it would be the Lebanese cedar. So we'll look at that. I know this looks squash, but this is a huge and enormous tree. These trees can grow up to 115 feet tall. And in fact, if we'll go to the next picture, they actually grow on the tops of mountains. That's where they usually grow. It's not just a big tree. It's a big tree on top of a big place. I mean, this is majestic stuff, right? And so they would expect Jesus to say, the kingdom of God is like a cedar. But instead he says a mustard tree. Let's, that's a mustard tree. I might be as tall as that mustard tree. I don't know. You see, mustard trees, they weren't. <laughs> they were not kindly looked upon in Jesus' day. Pliny the Elder, a contemporary of him, said, "A mustard plant grows entirely wild. When it has once been sown, it's scarcely possible to get the place free of it. You can catch what he's talking about here. You can catch what he's trying to call the mustard plant. It's a weed. To the Jewish mind, a mustard seed and a mustard plant was a weed. I mean, it's really impossible to escape the fact that Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a weed. That's what he's doing. Why? I think it's because he wants to reconfigure our idea of what's spectacular. You see, I think part of the reason why we do big and spectacular things, why we, why we wanna do big and spectacular things is because we wanna be big and spectacular people. Right? I mean, yet again, this is just obvious stuff. We live in a celebrity culture. And I know, most of us know we're not actually gonna be celebrities someday, but we still have that part of our hearts that wants to be the biggest deal wherever we are. In our fraternity, in our sorority, on our dorm floor, in our friend group, maybe even here at Veritas. Part of the reason why we wanna be big, why we wanna do big and spectacular things is we wanna be big and spectacular like the cedar tree. But Jesus says, my kingdom's not like that. My kingdom's like a weed and weeds are undesirable. And guess what? The mission of Jesus' kingdom is always going to be undesirable to you if the biggest thing that you live for is yourself and your own glory. Because the mission of Jesus' kingdom is about serving others. He makes it pretty clear, he does it in a metaphorical way, But this is what he says is the ultimate goal of the mustard tree. He says, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. Why? So that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. It's a metaphor, but we get what the metaphor means, right? The the whole purpose of the mustard tree is to become a home. It's become a home, a place that doesn't exist for me, a place that exists for others, for others. The kingdom of God grows for the sake of others. And in the exact same way, I grow, you grow, we all grow. When we live for something bigger than ourselves, when we live for God, when we live for his kingdom, and we do that by serving and loving others, that's how we grow. I mean, I've experienced this personally just in the last few months. You, if you were to come to me and say, hey Patrick, tell me the one thing that, that you've grown the most from in the last five years. You might expect me to say, Oh, it's doing this, right? It's like studying Bible passages and getting ready to preach them and teach them to a group of people. Like you might think, Yeah, that's probably the thing that he's grown the most from in the last five years. I tell you, no, that's not it at all. It, you know what's actually made me grow, I think, the most in the last five years? It's been the last five months of <laughs> loving and serving my daughter, of changing her diapers of having sleepless nights, of rocking screaming babies, of feeding her bottles, of trying to be kind and loving to my wife, all of that. I think I've probably grown more in the last five months doing that than I have in the last five years of giving talks precisely because we grow when we live for something bigger than myself. My wife, my daughter, they're bigger than me. Well, she's not bigger than me, but you, need, you get the metaphor, right? I got a question. Do you Do you wanna grow? then clean up your roommate's dishes cheerfully. It's a great growth strategy right there. Do you wanna grow? Then make a place in your friendship circle for someone who's socially awkward, someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of friends. Do you wanna grow? Here's an idea. At Mizzou, there is a very large number of people who are suffering from different mental illnesses, depression, anxiety disorders, and a whole other slew of things. You know what you could do? You could find a friend like that and say, you know what, I'm I'm gonna provide you practical care. I'm gonna help you find meals, I'm gonna invite you into my friend group. I'm just gonna make, you know, part of my life be about serving and caring for you. Do you wanna grow? Your heart will only ever be as big as what you serve. So if you serve yourself, you'll only ever be as big as yourself. But if you learn what it is to serve God, to serve his kingdom, to serve others, you start to grow up like a tree that makes a home for everybody. That's the way to grow. The Second thing we learn from this parable is that we grow when we see ourselves as small. We grow when we see ourselves as small. I know that sounds a little bit paradoxical, but it'll make sense here in a second. You see, most commentators uh, talking about this passage, they point out that Jesus says he's talking about the kingdom, but he's not merely talking about the kingdom. He's also talking about himself. He is the mustard seed. His life is, is the tiny, small, little mustard seed. You see, there were people in Jesus's day and after his death <laughs> who, if you came up to him and you said, hey, I follow Jesus of Nazareth, do you know what they would say to you? Who? follow Who? Or if they knew who he was and he said, hey, I follow Jesus of Nazareth. You know what they would say? They'd say, that guy? That guy was a failure. That guy was a nobody. You follow that guy? And I wonder if Jesus heard them say that. He would smile. He'd say, exactly. That's right. I mean, he's the God of the universe. He could have chosen any life, and yet, this is the life that he chose. He chose to grow up in the Middle East, which even back then was thought of as a dangerous and radicalizing place. Even worse, he decided to grow up in Israel, a country that's smaller than the state of Missouri, and he never left it in his adult life. He never left it. He decided to grow up, even by Israelite standards, in a small town, in a backwater town. He spent his teens and his 20s as a manual laborer. He was a carpenter, that meant he he built furniture and he constructed houses. When Jesus was your age and when he was my age, he wouldn't have had any Twitter followers. No one would have known who he was. He spent 30 years in obscurity to his 3 years doing ministry. And we got to admit during those 3 years he got some big crowds. But let's also remember this, the crowds that came to see Jesus, those are the crowds that cried out crucify him. He's a one-hit wonder handful of people show up to his crucifixion, just a handful of people to support him, to love him, to be there for him. But Jesus chose all of this. I want you to look at this picture. That's a picture of a mustard seed on the tip of a finger. Jesus chose to live a life that small, unspectacular, a mustard seed sized life. The apostle Paul Put this I think in the most beautiful and poetic terms, he said, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped at, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, by being born into the likeness of men, the creator of the universe condescended to be born as an infant, as an infant who couldn't speak, who had to cry to get his food, who had to be protected and fed by his mother. The creator of the universe became a baby. he didn't just stop there. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and not just any death, even death on a cross. The most shameful death imaginable at the time. Here's what we gotta get. Jesus in reality is not small. He is not unspectacular. And yet he chose to live like he was. And that amazes me because that's the last thing I would ever do. That's the last thing I would ever do. And maybe it's the last thing you'd ever do. Choose to be small, choose to be unspectacular. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And he had all the right to choose any life he wanted to have. But that's what he chose. I think precisely because he knew that that's the way to life. That's the way that God's kingdom grows. Back in April, one of the pastors at the crossing shared the story of a business owner in Columbia CEO kind of guy and uh during the financial crisis of 2008 he was crunching the numbers and realized he was gonna have to let go of some employees he didn't want to do that though so he kept thinking and working and he realized that if he got rid of the cleaning service that cleaned their building he could afford to keep on all of his employees right says okay that's what I'm gonna do so he rolls out the plan to his employees and he says, all right, we're going to get rid of the cleaning service, but there's one catch. We have to clean the building now. That just became everyone's job. That just became all the employees' job. And that's not so bad, like, you know, sweeping floors, cleaning up kitchens. You can live with that. There's one place, though. One place no one wants to clean, right? The ba- yeah. Oh, yeah, the bathroom. The bathroom is it. That's right. Uh, the bathroom. This guy could have said, look, I'm the owner. I'm the big deal. I don't even have to clean anything. He's a Christian. He, he saw himself as small, even though he didn't have to see himself as small. And so you know what he said? He said, I'll, I'll clean the bathrooms. The owner of the company was getting down on his knees and scrubbing toilets. He was mopping pee-soaked floor. He was changing out urinal cakes. This story struck me so much because it's the exact opposite of what most CEOs did during this time. Most CEOs of the big companies, they say, I'm a big deal. And even though my company's failing, I deserve more money. I deserve a bigger salary. We can fire the little people. Who cares about them? Because I'm a big deal. But this guy did the exact opposite of that. He saw himself as small. And so he lived like he was small. As a result, all of his employees kept their jobs. Since then, the company has actually grown. But perhaps most importantly, if you sat down across from him and you said, Hey, what's happened to you? He'd say, You know what? (laughs) I think I've grown from cleaning the bathrooms. So I just want you to ask yourself a question. Just ask this question in your head Do you know that you're not a big deal? Do you know that you're not a big deal? got a better question do your friends know that you know that you're not a big deal jesus says the way to growth is seeing yourself as small not being a big deal this requires an entire psych- psychological, emotional, spiritual shift because we want to be the big deal. We want to be the big and spectacular one. But Jesus says, if you want to grow, you don't go that way. The way to growth is to see yourself as small, as the servant, to, to not be great but to be little, to not be first but to be last. That's the way to growth. That's the way he lived. This last point connects to the third thing that we learned from the parable of the mustard seed. And it's that we grow through slow and ordinary steps. We grow in our lives through just kind of slow and ordinary steps, right? Because just thinking metaphorically again, every tiny little faithful step you take in your life, it's kind of like a mustard seed size step, right? It's just a tiny little thing. Uh, my friend, Luke Neal, he's the area director of Young Wife here in Columbia. And I saw a few people cheer for him. He's a great guy. I love Luke Uh, Young Life is a ministry that that reaches out to unchurched high school kids. And they have meetings on Wednesday nights where they sing songs, they play games. They're a lot of fun, they're a great thing. Um, So anyways, Luke, he's just kind of doing his normal, you know, day in, day out life thing. He's at one of these Young Life Club meetings. And as a game, this is what they decide to do. They're gonna have the Pizza Olympics. Here's how the Pizza Olympics work. They call three different pizza places simultaneously and they put in the order for the exact same pizza And the first pizza delivery man who shows up at the Young Life Club, he gets the gold medal and a big tip, right? So this is gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be funny. About halfway through the meeting, you know, they hear someone knocking at the door and everybody gets really quiet. They open it up, the delivery man comes in and all these high schoolers just start going nuts. Like they're screaming, they're yelling and he's kind of like, what the heck is going on right now, you know? But Luke brings him in, he's trying to get him up to the front. You can tell he's a little bit freaked out but as he's going up to the front and he realizes they're cheering for him, he starts smiling and he gets up there and Luke says, hey, you won the Pizza Olympics. Here's your gold medal. Here's your big tip. And Luke said, hey, I, I kind of expected the guy just to jet afterwards, you know, deliver his next pizza. But he's, he went to the back of the room, and he stayed there the entire meeting, listened to, to Luke talk about Jesus, all of that. And uh, the room kind of filed out, all the high schoolers left, and it was just him and, and some of the leaders there. And, and he went up to Luke and he said, I, "I hope it wasn't weird that I like stayed around this whole, whole meeting. I, I just had to say something to you. I've never had anybody cheer for me in my life. I've never won anything in my life. I've never been first place." at anything in my life. This is the first time I've ever been first. This is the first time I've ever heard someone clap for me. I just need you to know I will never forget this. I will never forget the things you said tonight. I just have to thank you so much. Luke was pretty surprised. I mean, he didn't plan for this to happen. He didn't have the Pizza Olympics with the great hope of making a pizza delivery man's night, right, that wasn't why he did this. He's just taking another small, faithful step in his life being a young life leader, right? He's just leading a Wednesday night meeting with a few dozen high schoolers, something that most people would think isn't a great use of your time anyways, but he does. It's just his tiny little step in his life and that tiny, faithful little step that night, it impacted this guy profoundly, I think Jesus understood that his kingdom it doesn't grow by grand gestures. It grows by small, ordinary steps in our life. And we don't grow personally by these grand gestures, big promises. We grow by small steps. You can think about it this way. God is kind of like if you've ever seen a dad who's like trying to teach his little kid how to walk, right? He'll kind of like lean over and he'll he'll hold the little kid's hands, right? And so the kid's kind of like got his hands up and he's kind of wobbling and his dad's holding him up, right? And the crazy thing is, if if you're not a dad, you're like, okay, but, you know, every step that that little kid takes, that dad is just thrilled. That's amazing. You just took a step. And reality is, he's holding the kid up. Kid's not doing that much, right? But still, you know, you just took a step. This is awesome. Oh, my gosh, you just took another step. That's awesome. I think that's how God is with us. we're saved and we say, God, I wanna run. I'm gonna do amazing I'm gonna, things for you. I'm gonna sprint for you. I'm gonna make these big promises for you. I'm gonna do these big things for your kingdom. And he says, no, 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 you gotta learn how to walk first. And I just want you to know, I will celebrate every step you take. I don't want you to worry about last week. I don't want you to worry about next week. I just want you to wake up today and take a step. Read your Bible today. Take a step, pray today. And if you, if you sin fall down, trust my forgiveness, trust my grace to pick you back up. Take a step. Go to a small group. Get lunch with a Christian friend. Be honest about something in your life. These aren't amazing big things that we do, right? God's just saying, just take a step, take a step, take a step. That's how you're going to learn how to walk. And maybe someday you'll live the life that you would have promised me to live, but that's not today. Today, I just want you to take a small step and I will celebrate it. We grow when we live for something bigger than ourselves. We grow when we see ourselves as small. We grow when we take small, slow, ordinary steps. I wanna end tonight by asking a quick question. Where do we get the strength to live this way? You see, I hope like this is refreshing to you <laughs> that that it's okay and it's realistic to just be an ordinary Christian who's just trying to take small steps to be faithful in your life. Like that's an okay thing. That's what God wants from you. That's a great thing even. But I hope you also see how profoundly idealistic what I'm talking about tonight is. And here's what I mean. If you have ever just for a day tried to not think about yourself most of the time, tried to th- Think about other people, serve other people, put other people's needs first, be more worried about what what they're about. If you've ever spent a day trying to think of yourself as small, not being proud, not, not, not hoping people will notice you, not hoping that people will pay attention to you. If you've ever spent a day just trying to take like normal, ordinary steps and not be big and spectacular amazing. If you've ever done that, then you know how incredibly difficult this really is. It's incredibly hard. I don't have it in me to do that. Because I wanna be amazing. I wanna be spectacular. I don't wanna be those things. So the question is, how do we get the power to live this way? And the parable of the mustard seed, I think yet again has the answer for us. See, remember Jesus is the mustard seed that fell into the ground and died in order to become through his resurrection, the big tree, the great tree in which we can find our homes with God in order to reunite us with God. You see, in Jesus, the creator of the universe, he looks on you with delight. He looks on you with joy. He looks on you with love. And you gotta hear this. There is nothing unspectacular about that. There is nothing unspectacular about that love. See, I can give up being a big deal here in this life when I know what a great treasure I have in Christ. I can be small and unspectacular. I can see myself as small. I can put other people first. I can just take tiny, slow steps. I can do that when I know God's enormous and spectacular love for me. It's precisely as we begin to see and understand our worth before God in Christ that we get the strength and the power to give up the things of this life and say, you know what, I don't have to be big. I don't have to be spectacular. I can be small here just like Jesus was. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good father who is realistic. He wants us just to take steps, baby steps. And you've given us all the love that we need, all of the joy that we need, all of the worth that we need to be able to live small lives to be able to not be about ourselves, to be able to serve others. Jesus, I pray that together, we would try to do that as a community. And as a result of us doing that as a community, your kingdom would grow. Your kingdom would grow into a great tree that Veritas would grow into a great place where people who know that they're small, who know that they're needy, who know that they need help, they can come here and find a home, find a family, just as we found a home and a family with you. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name.